Jones, a line drive off the top of the wall. There it is. Pete fires the bat up. He's your home run derby champion of 2019. Pete Alonzo walked away with a hardware last night, but was he the biggest winner from the MLB home run derby? Was it Vlad Guerrero Jr. setting a new derby record with 91 home runs on the evening? I think it was the game of baseball. I think baseball as a whole was the big winner last night. We're going to get to more on that here over the course of the next hour. It is a sports pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along as always. We've got a packed show as always today. i got a couple of guests who are going to join me in the ESPN-UP phone line throughout the day. We're going to talk mostly baseball, home run derby recap, all-star game preview, plus we got some basketball that we want to get to as well. A round ball talk all the way around, but we start with the MLB. And last night's home run derby, it felt like the 2008 derby. I still remember watching that. Josh Hamilton sets a record 28 home runs in the first round. He ends up getting beat by Justin Morneau. Last night, 28-29 into the 30s. That was commonplace for the home run derby. Baseball is turning into more of an offensive game. And last night at the Dinger Derby, it was one of the best that we've ever seen. If you like power, you like offense, you got to see it last night. Pete Alonzo is the winner. He becomes the first rookie to win the title since 2017. Another New York rookie did so that year, Mr. Aaron Judge. Alonzo got to the championship by beating Carlos Santana in the first round, actually got booed by the hometown Cleveland fans for knocking out their guy. He went on to take down Ronald Acuna Jr. in the second round before facing off against Vlad Guerrero Jr. in the finals. Guerrero had to go up against Jock Peterson in the second round, and they just went blow for blow, shot for shot. Guerrero went first, and it looked like he just kept setting the bar too high for Peterson to catch up. And yet Jock just kept coming back and coming back. They eventually go to a swing-off. They had the four-minute round per usual, then a one-minute overtime period. Then they had to go to two swing-offs where you get three swings. Not just three pitches, but you get three swings to get the ball out of the park. Peterson had a chance to walk off Vlad in the first swing-off, couldn't do it. In the second swing-off series, Vlad gets two or three out of the park. Jock only gets one. Vlad is on to the finals where he gets beat by Pete Alonzo. And even though he set a Major League home run derby record last night, hitting 91 home runs, it's still not enough. So who was the real winner last night? The scoreboard says Pete Alonzo. The record book says Vlad Guerrero Jr. By the way, just 20 years old, he became the youngest ever to participate in a home run derby last night. I tell you what, there was skepticism whether he should even be in the derby, having only hit eight home runs coming into it. He calmed those fears down. He silenced those skeptics. I was one of them, I'll admit it. Like father, like son. His dad won this event back in 2007, and Vlad had the chance to become the youngest and the first ever Blue Jays player to win the derby. It was not to be. There was moral victory for Vlad Jr. There was a trophy for Pete Alonso. But baseball as a whole was the big winner at last night's home run derby. This is what baseball wants. They want high-octane offense. Yeah, it's a home run derby. You expect balls to leave the park. But 341 of them did last night. And those guys put on a show unlike anything we've ever seen. Baseball has an interest problem. Last night was not only an offensive spectacle... But you got to see some personalities. You got to see these guys be personable. Basketball's popular because you know these guys off the floor. They're an interesting cast of characters. It humanizes them off the floor. Football, very similar situation. Baseball, hockey, not so much. 
Baseball, you get to know these guys. You see personalities. It humanizes the players to you. They're not just athletes. They're human beings like us. You could be watching a TV show and think this is a great story, but the characters aren't sucking me in. The acting's terrible. The characters aren't relatable. Why would you watch it? Same thing with baseball. And last night, we started to see some personality burst on the scene. Baseball was the big winner last night. It wasn't because 341 home runs left the park. It was because the seeds of fan interest were firmly planted. So Pete Alonso's already hit more home runs than any other Mets rookie. What happened last night might be the biggest win that the Mets will have all season. They're having a tough year. A lot was expected from them. I thought they'd be a bust. They currently sit 10 below 500 at 40 and 50. Pete Alonso, I'm happy for him. Here's what he had to say after last night's victory. I'm happy that I was able to conserve as much energy throughout the event, and that was that was huge. I mean, without being kind of where I was in the seating, I was put myself in a good position with the regular season. Without that, it may have been a different story. I'm really fortunate with how the brackets worked out. You got to go in with kind of a killer instinct, and it doesn't matter how many you hit. It's you just need to have one more than the guy you're facing. And I'm really happy that I didn't have to swing a lot going into the extra rounds. Uh, that's the one thing that. Most of my teammates, uh, especially Robbie and Todd Frazier and, and Chili, because Chili was uh, UN assessment as his hitting coach when he won the Derby in Oakland. Pretty much they were all just saying conserve as much energy as possible between rounds, hydrate, get some electrolytes, and keep the body loose, but you don't need to exert energy taking too many swings. When asked about being booed after eliminating the hometown guy, Carlos Santana, Alonzo had a laugh. I didn't think I'd ever be booed at a home run derby, <laughs> to be honest with you. That's a hometown home cooking, so dealt with some adversity, but we overcame and pretty much just survived in advance. <laughs> I mean, we hit the sweet spot, we got in a groove for a little while and just carried it on through, so I mean, it was thrilling. Even though it was a euphoric night, it was a dream come true. Alonzo still gave credit where credit was due and spoke in the performance of Ladd Jr. That was so fun to watch. I'm just, I'm happy I didn't face him in the early rounds because he probably would have knocked me out, but... I mean, I've got to tip my cap. I mean, he's going to have a really long career. I mean, I, it's, it's unbelievable. Maybe the most impressive part about the National League lineup this evening, Alonzo's coming off the bench. You've got a weapon like that to bring off the bench. It's going to be a fun game tonight. Again, my favorite all-star game of the four major sports. First pitch set for 7 Eastern here on ESPN-UP and online with our app. Let's give you the starting lineups again in case you missed them yesterday. They were announced yesterday just before we hit the air. The National League will be the visitors tonight. They're managed by Dave Roberts. Christian Yelich will play tonight. He dropped out of the home run derby last night due to a back injury, but he will play tonight. He's in the lineup at left field. He will lead off for the NL. Javi Baez, the shortstop, bats second. Freddie Freeman bats third and plays first. Cody Bellinger in right field is the cleanup batter. Nolan Arenado fifth at third base. Batting six, Josh Bell. He's the DH. Wilson Contreras bats seventh. He will catch. Kettle Marte hitting eighth at second base. And Ronald Acuna Jr. in center field bats ninth. Starting pitcher for the National League is Hinjin Roo. Once again, the starters for the National League, Yelich, Baez, Freeman, Bellinger, Arenado, Bell, Contreras, Marte, Acuna with Roo as the starting pitcher. Now the starting lineup for the American League, the home team on the scoreboard. George Springer in right field leads off. D.J. LeMayhew bats second, plays second. Mike Trout in center field bats third. Carlos Santana, the first baseman, is the cleanup batter. J.D. Martinez, the D.H., bats fifth. Alex Bregman at third hits sixth. Gary Sanchez bats seventh. He will catch. Michael Brantley in left field bats eighth. And Jorge Polanco, the shortstop, hits ninth. Starting pitcher for the American League is Justin Verlander. 
Again, for the American League, that's Springer, LeMahieu, Trout, Santana, Martinez, Bregman, Sanchez, Brantley, Polanco with Verlander on the bump. The day the All-Star Game is finally here. Will the AL extend their winning streak to seven consecutive games, or will the NL win their first since 2012? We find out tonight, and we'll break it down tomorrow. I tell you what, let's take our next time out a little bit early. I've got a guest who's going to join me on the phone line here in just a few moments. Pete Alonzo is a Northwoods League guy, played for the Madison Mallards. Well, one of their records was shattered last night by a team just down the road. 12-year-old record falls, and we'll tell you about it next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along this Tuesday afternoon. Last night, while we were tuned into the Home Run Derby, a record was broken just down the street. A 12-year-old record fell, and that came courtesy of the Traverse City Pit Spitters. Set the new record for the longest winning streak in the Northwoods League. They notched their 17th consecutive victory last night, and we're joined by manager Josh Reman. Josh, really appreciate you taking the time. Congrats on the run you guys are on. Wow. Hey, thanks, Tanner. Appreciate it. It's been a... Been a whirlwind in the past couple weeks and a half, and uh, just really appreciate the guys that we've had uh, here this summer, and they've been playing obviously good, good baseball and good enough baseball to to win seventeen in a row. Hey, your first season in the Northwoods League, and so far off to a great start. You're sitting twenty nine and thirteen. Just started the second half of the year, six and zero there, but seventeen straight wins, a winning streak that started when you were one game below five hundred. At what point did you start thinking maybe we got something special here? Might be going on a little bit of a run. You know, it really was the so we had an off day um, on, on the last Monday in June, I think it was, and we were getting ready to head to Kokomo. And we're, I'll say first, we're about development first, but what I talk about with the development is that winning validates the process of that development of what we do every day. And um, so I told the guys, we were headed to Kokomo, and we were kind of neck and neck with them for the first place battle. And I said, hey, if we if we go to Kokomo, we win two in a row, um, we're, we're going to have a pretty good shot to win this first half. And we did that. We went there, took two, and from Right after that series, it really caught fire, and the guys just they, they could kind of sense that there was a chance to clinch the first half and how special that would be for the city of Traverse City and northern Michigan in general. Um, and so I think the guys really bought into it, and then it just kind of caught, caught fire, and it hasn't, hasn't stopped since yet. So um, it's, been, it's been an awesome ride, and it's a really, really good group of guys. Was it a mental switch that needed to be flipped, or was there anything you tweaked on the field? No, there uh, nothing. Nothing really in terms of. Um, I mean, the guys that I, I, the guys that played hard for the first twenty-five games or so up till that point, anyways. Um, but it was just kind of like that extra little bit of motivation. Like, how cool would this be for our city, being a first-year team, for them to be able to have a team that they can they can cheer for and to celebrate. Um, and to be a part of that would be would be pretty special. I think the guys started to realize, you know, in the back of their minds, like, yeah, that that actually would be something really special for this city. So, how much was the record on your minds last night as you took the field? Yeah, it was it was on the mind. <laughs> it, it's hard to not think about it when you're when you're pushing for something like that. And the guys wanted it really bad. They, um, 
just in talking with guys individually and even as a team when we'd have some, some team meetings, they'd, um, you know, they had been talking about even a week before that, right after we clinched the first half, they said, hey, what's, what's the longest winning streak in the Northwoods? And so they had known for at least a week and they're like, hey, let's, let's do it, coach. Let's go win that record. <laughs> So that that was pretty cool. That you know, even seven or eight days prior to to breaking the record, guys were already starting to ask about it. At any point along the way, did you guys feel any pressure to keep the winning streak intact? I, you know, I don't think any any pressure in particular. I think you know, innately, when you have something going like that, you're going to feel pressure. Um, but I don't think anything over over the board. Um, in terms of pressure, they just continue to go out and sell out for each other. And the cool part is that we've had pretty much every single night we've had a different hero over this course of winning streak, whether it's on the mound or whether it's been a positional guy with a big hit or making a big defensive play. It's really been a different guy almost every single night. Hey, you mentioned last night in your postgame comments Adam Proctor was the hero for you guys, a Michigan State product. Tell me about his impact. Yeah, Adam's a, he's a workhorse, man. He, behind the plate, the relationships that he builds with the pitching staff and also the umpires, too. We've had so many umpires in this league that have complimented Adam and uh, our, just our catchers and players in general um, of how well that they carry themselves. And Adam has just been, he's been really, really good at that. And then also just his playing ability. He's struggled a little bit offensively here and there. Um, but he has not wasted in that bat. He, he hasn't given any away, and he's come up with some really big hits over the course of the summer. Well, Coach, the All-Star roster is announced a couple of weeks ago. Tell me about your guys that will be going down to Waterloo. Yeah, yeah, Michael Slayton. Um, he's he's kind of, when he first came in, he was our, our shortstop third baseman, um, just kind of hovering over at the third base, or left side of the infield. Um, and now he's started to play a little bit more infield now that we got a, another middle infielder in from the University of Michigan, Riley Bertram. Uh, Michael's kind of moved to the outfield a little bit or even in the DH role. Um, an NAI kid from Benedictine College, um, really proud of him. And um, he's been able to carry his weight in this league, which has been really cool. Then on the mound are, are one and two, um, or one A, one B in the rotation, however you want to look at it. Um, both of them are number ones on any rotation in this league. Uh, Kyle Jones and Andrew Hoffman. Kyle Jones from Toledo, University of Toledo, uh, went to De La Salle High School. He's from Michigan. And then um, also Andrew Hoffman. He's from the uh, Chicagoland area in Illinois. Just finished up his freshman year at Oakland. But both of those guys have given us a chance to win every time out and um, have, have been really proud of what they've done for us. Talking with Josh Reban, the manager for the Traverse City Pittsbitters. They set the Northwoods League record last night with their 17th consecutive win. Well, Josh, you guys have already locked up a playoff spot as first-half champs in your division. So what do you do in the second half? What's the motivator as you try to finish the season strong? It's funny you ask that. We've That's actually the question that I've probably been asked the most over the last week since we clinched. And it goes back to day one where we, we've been preaching development and getting better every single day, regardless of wins or losses. Don't get burnt out throughout the summer. Love what you do. Um, be thankful for what you have and, and just get better every single day. And so our kind of our theme, our, our bench coach and I were talking about it after a game and our coaching staff in general. And we were just kind of thinking, hey, let's see, let, let's have, you know, the guys how much better they can get in the last 40 to 50 days of the summer. Uh, that way there's still that 
that goal of development and showing up early on home game days for early work. Um, and that's really the motivator is, you know, as a, as a baseball player that's trying to reach the next level, you can't be satisfied with a first-half championship uh, when you still have another 36 games to play in the second half, or otherwise you're not going to get any better in return to your college programs as a better baseball player. So um, I think the motivation for them is pretty easy, knowing that their their ultimate goal is to play at the next level uh, and get drafted and signed by, by some affiliate clubs um, and hopefully climb the ladder in the minor league. So um, I think for them, I think you know, getting better every day is the, the biggest motivation factor. Well, Northwoods Baseball, new to Traverse City this year. Tell me how the city's embraced you guys. Yeah, we've had some really good fan support. Um, Fourth of July, we had a really great crowd. Opening day, we had a really nice crowd. Um, You know, I think the word's starting to get out, you know, when when people from our front office or even ourselves as coaches or the players have been in in town, especially along with the Cherry Festival, I think people have started to kind of catch wind of, what's going on in Traverse City, that there's a new team in town, that it's college players, that it's a younger player that is aspiring to play professionally, and a lot of them have the talent in this league. There's been, um, you know, Max Scherzer, Curtis Granderson have played in this league. Those are former Tigers that people might recognize the name of. Um, and so just, you know, I think the city is starting to learn kind of who we are and what this league is and that it's a development league for professional baseball in the future for these guys. Um, and, you know, having a couple guys from the College World Series on our team from the University of Michigan, um, you know, I think people are starting to learn a little bit more each day. Um, and then obviously winning, winning helps get the word out there a little bit too. So uh, we've had great support from the city, from northern Michigan. There's been people from all over the state that have come watch games, and uh, we'd, we'd love to see a lot more of them too. And you've got just a beautiful ballpark out there in Traverse City. Tell me what the atmosphere is like when Pitts Bitters Park really gets lively. Yeah, uh, you know, the fan uh, gates open about an hour before, and there's usually a, a line of people um, either at the ticket office or to, to get in the gate uh, an hour before, and then the fans start trickling in. Fans show up early at Traverse City. It's It's been pretty cool to see. Um, uh, you know, it, they, they get into the game when we have a lead in the ninth inning. They get up on their feet, uh, you know, for the last hitter, the last strike, last out, that type of thing. So, uh, they're they're definitely into the game, and it's been really appreciated by our players. I know you know when you play in front of a crowd that's attentive to what's going on and they understand the game of baseball, uh, it makes it a lot more fun to, to play in front of. So um, yeah, hats off to Traverse City and Northern Michigan for the support they've given us so far, and uh, we look forward to, to more support and as we finish out the rest of the season and and years to come as well. Well, you got Kenosha coming to town, and I should be a fun atmosphere with Bark at the park. Tell me what to expect from Kenosha. Yeah, Kenosha's Kenosha's a tough club. Um, it, they're they're under five hundred right now, but they have a really good field manager, Duffy Dyer. Um, and you know, our fans might not know he was on the nineteen sixty nine Miracle Mets team. Um, so the him himself and the Kenosha Kingfish are coming to town, and um, they they have a solid club. They play the game the right way and it's an exciting night every time we play them the last two nights having a couple one-run games with them really competitive baseball so uh, i think if fans want to see a really good night of baseball they they definitely need to make it their way down to pittsburgh's park 
Talking with Josh Reband, the manager of the Traverse City Pittsbitters. Last night, they set the new record for the Northwoods League's longest winning streak at 17. Josh, appreciate you taking the time. Wishing you and the Spitters all the best going forward. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Sounds great, Tanner. I appreciate it. Let's take a time out when we come back. Which duo do you want to start your NBA franchise around? That's next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. It is The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along as always. Here's your Sports Center update. Serena Williams survives a three-set thriller against Allison Risky this morning to reach her 12th Wimbledon semifinal. Veteran NFL defensive back Glover Quinn has announced his retirement after 10 professional seasons. That included six with the Lions. And finally, happy 38th birthday to Donkey Kong. On July 9th, 1981, 38 years ago today, the Donkey Kong video game was first introduced. That is your Sports Center update. Tanner Hoops with you once again. Glad to have you along. We got a little basketball talk coming up. Who do you want to build your NBA franchise around? What duo appeals most to you? That plus I've got some audio from the Canadian Stugats. If you listened to the Dan Lebitard show with Stugats earlier today, you heard this audio. You gotta hear it if you haven't. The Canadian Stugats. I'm gonna play it for you here in the next ten minutes. But first let's start on the hardwood. I tell you what, I pride myself on preparation. I always like doing a good job. I feel good when I put in a hard day's work. But if someone else does the work for you, why not? I want to piggyback off something that Will Kane discussed on his show yesterday afternoon right after we signed off. Will was ranking the top duos in the NBA for the coming season. I asked my Twitter following, which duo would you build your NBA team around? Here are the choices. Option one, LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Option two, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Option three, the tried-and-true Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson won three titles together. Option four, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So before I give you the results, think about that. If someone posed that question to you, you're an NBA GM, you're building your basketball team, which two do you want to build around? I think we can all agree those are the top four tandems in basketball. I do want to say number five should undoubtedly be Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. Then you keep going on down the list. You would have Chris Middleton and Giannis somewhere up there. Harden and Paul fell a little bit. Wiggins and Cat might be up there. And then way toward the bottom, somewhere in the 20s, you have Embiid and Simmons. It's just never going to work. But Philly keeps trying to make it work. Here are the results from the poll that I put up on my Twitter yesterday. I asked my Twitter following, which all-NBA tandem would you want to build your team around? Tied with 37% of the vote, both LeBron James and Anthony Davis and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Each option got 37% of the vote. Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, despite winning three championships together, 16% of the vote. KD and Kyrie got 10. So who would you rather build your franchise around? Who should you want to build your franchise around? I think the answer to that question is different than which is the best tandem, which is the most talented duo. I'll get to that here in a few moments. But let's take a look collectively at the number of championships between each of them. LeBron and Anthony Davis. They have three NBA championships between them, all them belonging to LeBron. Little to no playoff success or even experience for Anthony Davis. And yet I believe that that duo is the most talented. They're two top five players. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, the new Clippers tandem. Two championships between them, both belonging to Kawhi. 
Paul George has never even played a finals game, and yet he's a guy that people think will take the Clippers over the edge, including me. I'm one of them. Steph Curry and Klay Thompson have combined to win three championships. That's the only tandem that's actually played with each other before. And then Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, they've combined for three championships. Two for Durant with Golden State, one for Kyrie with Cleveland. Let's take away the entire roster, what's around each of them. Let's keep in perspective what each has accomplished, where they're at in their career, and I will give you in order which of those tandems I would want to build my franchise around. If my roster consisted of only those two players, which ones am I going with? I tell you what, number one on my list, the duo that I would build my franchise around, the Splash Brothers, Stephen Clay. Number two, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Thirdly, I'd go LeBron and AD. And fourth, KD and Kyrie. Now let me explain why I put those in that order, and I'll work my way back up to the top. You've got Kevin Durant, who's got soft skin, he can't take criticism, going up against Mr. Flat Earther, Mr. What Does Government Mean to You. Kyrie's a weirdo. Kevin Durant's kind of soft. Both are talented basketball players, but at some point chemistry does matter. And I don't think those two are going to have it. Not in that environment, not in Brooklyn. I'm not saying I wouldn't want to build up a team around them because they're probably going to be pretty good, but something tells me the relationship between Durant and Kyrie isn't going to be as rosy as people think it's going to be now. And against Stevie Marks and the Nets, they're in a great position. I would love to build up a team around Kyrie and Durant. I'm not saying they're a bad option. They're just least desirable of those top four tandems. Number three on my list, I said LeBron and AD. I think they're the most talented too. And in a lot of ways comparable to what Kawhi and Paul George have. You have two very accomplished superstars in LeBron and Kawhi. And then you have two All-NBA players who haven't had much playoff experience. Paul George and Anthony Davis. Both George and AD play great defense. Both have excellent offensive abilities. I'm not saying you can interchange them. AD is better than Paul George. But for me, this choice comes down to whether I want Kawhi or LeBron. Right now, would you want to build a team around Kawhi or LeBron? For me, it's a no-brainer. It's Kawhi. LeBron's in his mid-30s. Kawhi's coming off his second finals MVP. He led a group of no-names to an NBA championship, something LeBron couldn't do when he was with Cleveland. I'm not saying Kawhi is going to go down as being a better player than LeBron when it's all said and done, but right now, I want to build my team around a young guy who may be at the peak of his career rather than a guy in his mid-30s coming off injury. For me, that's what puts Kawhi Leonard and Paul George above LeBron and A.D., and then number one, the two that I want to build my franchise around, it's still Stephen Clay. That's not the sexy answer. But Stephen Clay, the tried and true group, I want to know what I'm getting. And I know that if you build a quality team around Stephen Clay, that they are going to bring you a championship. They're even going to set a record for most wins in a single season. Now, and again, it's important to keep in mind the nature of the question. Stephen Clay may not be the most talented duo in that group. But I believe that they're the ones you want to build around. Stephen Clay by themselves wouldn't win a championship. Or at least LeBron and AD, Kyrie and Durant, Kawhi and PG-13. All of those would give you a better chance to win a championship by themselves. But to build a team around, I'm going with what I know works, and that's Stephen Clay. Hey, before we get to the break and my next guest joins me on the ESPN-UP phone line, I want to play you some audio from the Dan Lebitard show with Stu Gatz earlier today. Sid Shishiro, try saying that five times fast, he's part of Sportsnet up in Toronto, 
He's a huge Raptors fan, a huge sports fan, and he is just heartbroken about Kawhi Leonard leaving. In fact, he's more than heartbroken, he's angry. Is Kawhi always going to be a legend in Toronto? Absolutely. Are they going to hang a banner in his honor? They should. Are they going to retire his jersey? Probably. And they should. And you kind of expected Toronto to give him a Canadian farewell. You know, sorry it didn't work out. We wish you the best. We wish you would have stayed. No, there's some anger from Sid. But it was a humorous kind of anger. Let me play the audio for you. Okay, so this is a Clipper problem that you have. The real nature of your hostility is the Clippers. It is not Kawhi Leonard, Kawhi leaving, or the champion being decimated. For a guy who is obsessed with championships, as Kawhi supposedly is, it's the equivalent of an NFL player saying, all I want to do is win championships, so I'm going to sign with the Detroit Lions. (laughs) One of their most important players, Lou Williams, is celebrated annually for being a failure who can't start. <laughs> Whoa! Wow! Lou <laughs> Williams is a what failure? Did I just say that's incorrect. What did I just say that's incorrect? It's yeah. a fact. They celebrate the fact that this man can't do what many other NBAers do every night. I am so they proud of you. You are right. He is the best player in the NBA to not be able to start coming off a bench. You're right. It's such a great thing. We shouldn't man. even celebrate him. He's like, he's, he's barely in the top 150 of best players in the NBA by that man. Guys, Lance Stevenson was a better three point shooter last year. Lance Stevenson. It's, it's as if the NFL, the night before the Super Bowl, said it's now time to honor the league's best chef. He is the Canadian Stu Gatz. He's perfect for the Levitard show. I, tell you, I like Lou Williams. I don't know what it is about six men. I don't know why you plug him into the starting lineup and they can't do the same thing that they do when they come off the bench. But for reference, Lou Williams is perennially the NBA Sixth Man of the Year. He's won it three straight years in a row now. The award's probably going to be named after him someday. I will say this in his defense, though, because I like him. He only commands $8 million, and he is one of the most important players on that team. Sid's right about that. He's extremely important to them. He's a great scorer. He immediately comes off the bench and provides offense, and he does it for $8 million a year. He's extremely underpaid for what he brings to the table. However, I've got more audio for you because Sid wasn't done. That team was set up to run the East with ease. The Bucks got worse. The Nets got kind of better. I don't know if the Sixers got that much better, and I don't know what the Heat are. So the Raptors are sitting there. Danny Green's going to re-sign in a second if, if Kawhi comes back. And they go right back to the final against God knows who. It was easy. Those max slots for the Lakers and the Clippers weren't going anywhere. If he wanted to do this again next summer, he could have. But no, he had to play with Montrez Harrell. <laughs> He's about to make Harold champion, though. <laughs> I am floored. Gentlemen, I am floored. LeBron is sitting there. Anthony Davis is sitting there. Uh, that Caruso kid is sitting there. They're all sitting there, and that makes complete sense to me. He went to an organization that historically has enjoyed being a joke, and you're telling me this is about championships? You took $50 million less to play with Lou Williams? Question for you. I, th- I feel like your head's going to explode when I ask this one, but I-, I feel like the Spurs should not retire Kawhi's number, and the Raptors absolutely should. What do you say? <laughs> See, hold on. Well, this is this is the one. 
<laughs> this is the one where I'm going to take a breath and say that they should retire Kawhi's number. Ooh. Vince Carter has to play another 22 years to do what this guy just did. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Do you know? Do you know the Raptors have a banner in their stadium that celebrates the 1995-96 Atlantic Division title? <laughs> um, and you're wondering why I laughed. That. <laughs> that's true. I wish I could play this all day because that's not even half of it. I do have a phone guest that's going to join me here in a few minutes, so we need to hit the break. I will say this, though. I loved how he discredited the Clippers, how Sid Shishero said that the Clippers are an organization that's enjoyed being a joke, and a couple minutes later points out how the Raptors have a division title from 23 years ago hanging from their rafters. The Clippers may have been a joke in the past, but after all, let's not forget, that's what people said about Toronto before Kawhi came there. I tell you what, let's take a time out. When we come back, we're going to end the workday by getting you prepped for tonight's All-Star Game. I do so with a guest next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any part of the show today, check it out on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple iStore or Google Play. Just look up ESPN-UP. You can use that app to hear the All-Star Game this evening. Our coverage begins at 7 Eastern with ESPN's 250 radio markets. Let's end the workday by previewing the All-Star Game. And to do so, we bring in a guest on the ESPN-UP phone line, Andrew Banstra, friend of the show. He's been on here before. He is the voice of the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs of the Atlantic League of Professional Baseball. He joins us on the ESPN-UP phone line from the DMV. What's up, Andrew? Hey, man. It's awesome to be back, and uh, it's nice to be considered to be a recurring guest in some ways, but... I always love coming on with you. It's always a blast to talk sports with you, especially baseball. Yeah, anytime we can get a professional baseball commentator, we're going to make it happen. Well, thanks, man. And, uh, and it, you know, it's always a blast to work with you. And uh, any, any chance we get to work together is always a pleasure, at least at least for myself. I know that. And, uh, I hope the feeling's mutual. And I, I, I'm thinking it is. Since you had the feeling's to mutual. On, so it's really a pleasure. Well, I tell you what, the All-Star Game tonight in Cleveland, it's my favorite All-Star Game of any of the four major sports. You had a chance to experience the All-Star culture firsthand last year when you were out in Washington, D.C. Nationals Park, of course, was the host for the Midsummer Classic. What would Clevelanders be going through right now? Well, the thing about the All-Star Game is just that it, it basically it takes over the whole entire city. And that they, they do some really cool stuff. I know they're doing the same thing in Cleveland this year, and they do this thing called the Play Ballpark, which is essentially just, like, this year I just read it's a 600,000 square foot area where they have more than 400 activities. The commissioner comes and speaks. They have virtual batting practice where you can uh, hit on, you know, last year it was Nationals Park, on the field, you know, virtually on the field. But the point is, is that they're doing all these things in baseball that are essentially reviving the game in many ways. So it's it, essentially is a city takeover in many ways and it's just it's so exciting because it just revitalizes the whole community it brings the love of baseball around and boy i mean we could talk about it all day just i mean it kicked off last night with the home run derby man and if this is a new young exciting wave of baseball and honestly i think that it was a terrible day for the people who say that baseball has become a boring sport Mm -hmm. last night was electric 
Oh, I tell you what, the home run derby really did get us started. Pete Alonso put on a show, but Vlad Guerrero Jr. actually was the one who set the record for most home runs at the derby with 91. It had the feel of 2008. You remember that with Josh Hamilton and Justin Morneau? Oh, of course. I mean, that was a classic. But, I mean, last night, man, I mean, Vlad Jr. hits 29 in his first round, sets a single-round record, goes and ties it in his second round. And if you want to count the swing off in the overtime, he beat it again, but how about Jock Peterson coming back to tie him in the second round? It was just, I don't know, man, that plus all the personalities that baseball is doing such a good job of showcasing, it's becoming really kind of, I, I don't know, I think that the NBA has done a terrific job of putting their personalities and, and their individual players on a platform, and I think that MLB is doing a good job, you know, kind of following that framework and that footstep. And you're getting to kind of know these players on a superficial level, whether it be through social media or what have you, but kind of getting an inside look to guys like Vlad Jr. and somebody that is just so coveted in the baseball world. And there was a little bit of skepticism about whether he should be there, and, you know, probably with good reason, but, boy, did he put on a show. 91 home runs last night. I think that that sentence right there just stands out to me. Anytime you can say, oh, yeah, that guy hit 91 home runs last night, that just that just it blows your mind. It, like father, like son. He finished with more home runs last night than four teams have hit so far this season. The Giants, the Royals, the Tigers, and the Marlins. Vlad Jr. definitely belonged on that stage, but like you said, a little skepticism because he's only hit eight home runs this year. I was one of those skeptics, but I take it all back. It was fun to watch the show that Vlad Jr. put on. The record coming into it for a single round was 28. Josh Hamilton set that back in 08. And we were getting 29 into the 30s like it was nothing last night. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing that I heard on the broadcast last night um, when they were talking about, you know, maybe 5, 10, 15 years ago, in the final round, guys would be washed out. They're so tired. And three home runs could win you a final round. Vlad Jr. was very visibly gassed in that final round, and he hit, what, 20 or 21 in his final round. I mean, it's just that that goes to show furthermore the new wave of excitement in the game of baseball, and that the the home run ball is being embraced, juice balls or no juice balls, according to Justin Verlander. But <laughs> the, the the fact of the matter is, is that it was just a blast, man. I mean, it was just so so fun to watch. And guys like Vlad Jr. are guys that are perfect to embrace for the game of baseball. I mean, what a better face! The hair is just stuff that I love. I love his hair. Uh, but that's obviously besides the point. The power, I mean, just such a compact swing, and the guy just has pure power. Let's keep in mind, I think he's 20 years old. He is, yeah. He would have become the youngest to win the Derby. This is good for baseball, like you mentioned, that we're starting to see superstars with personalities. Who's the face of baseball right now? Some would say Mike Trout. Mike Trout has the personality, maybe, of the chair across the studio from me. But you look in the <laughs> NBA, guys have all sorts of personalities. That's what makes it fun. And then Kawhi Leonard has really no personality, but he's such a mystery man about it that that's what makes him interesting to us. Baseball is starting to appeal to people's human interest side a lot more than it was even three years ago. Yeah, there's no question about it. I think that you're exactly right with the whole Kawhi Leonard thing. And I think that is just like you said. I think it's because there's so many personalities showcased that it's almost just funny to see or just kind of weird to see a guy with such little personality. Players in baseball, clearly, you know, Mike Trout, he 
I think that he's just a guy that's more, he's not as interested in the marketing scheme of things. And, you know, I think that in many ways, I just, I, I think that that's just kind of the way it panned out. It's just that this is the guy that is potentially the best ever, and he doesn't really care about that. So, you know, I, I do think that some of these young personalities like your Javier Baez is like your Francisco Lindor's, like your Vladimir Guerrero Jr. are going to be the guys that are going to and are being embraced. They're kind of the faces of the game, and they're just exciting young players to watch. I mean, Javier Baez, for me, I can't get enough of him. I mean, any time you get a chance to watch Javi on TV, you're going to see something special. Talking with Andrew Banstra, play-by-play voice of the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs of the Atlantic League of Professional Baseball. Looking at the game tonight, Andrew, both you and I are fans of American League teams. They've won six in a row entering play tonight. But I tell you what, that end of lineup is stacked. You know, that's exactly what I was going to say. Clearly, both of us are AL guys. I don't think I can bet against the AL. No. Tonight. I mean, man, look at that NL lineup. I mean, from top to bottom, there's not a single hole and, you know, clearly, you know, there's going to be some subs as you go, but then you guys got guys like Pete Alonso on your bench. I mean, they are just stacked from top to bottom. I really don't think you can pick out a specific player. And, you know, when you have Cody Bellinger and a guy like Christian Yelich in the same lineup, and then you continue to look all the way up and down, you really can't pick any holes. How about the pitching matchup? Verlander, no stranger to the Midsummer Classic. And then Hinjian Rue, who's really had a breakout season. Tonight he'll become the first ever Korean-born pitcher to start an All-Star game, which is kind of amazing to me considering the athletes that have come out of there. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. When I heard that he was the first Korean-born player to be starting in an All-Star game, I was slightly surprised because you're exactly right. All of the guys that have come from those Asian countries have just been terrific. I mean, you, you look all the way back down the line for the last 20-odd years, and they've just produced pitchers at, a, at an alarming rate. So you're exactly right, and I think that he's a guy that's a great singer. But basically, a little bit better than average for his first five years or so. Really struggled with some injuries, but he's a guy that's just been really, really fun to watch. He's doing some real special this year. He's got an ERA south of two, Anytime you can do that, he's got a pretty good thing going on. And let's not forget about the fact that he's in the same rotation as a guy like Clayton Kershaw, as a guy like Walker Buehler, who are having terrific gears, and that loss goes on is some of the reasons why the Dodgers are having such a fantastic year. Well, I tell you what, let me give you a softball trivia question. I know that you're going to get this one. Mike Trout is going to start his seventh consecutive All-Star game tonight. He'll become the first player to do so since who? Derek Jeter. I knew you'd get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was reading that. I, I actually just read it that's part of it. But yeah, man, I mean, despite the fact that he doesn't have the personality, it's about time and it's showing now that because he was a top vote getter this year and because of that, you know, stat that you just read off, the fact of the matter is despite the lack of personality, I think that people are starting to embrace his greatness. I mean, he's gotten an OPS well above a thousand, you know, and he's just a guy that does incredible things night in and night out. I also read that he's looking for a record-setting third AL, excuse me, third MLB All-Star game MVP. So that's something to watch for. You know, the Angels don't get a whole lot of national coverage and coverage, 
But, I mean, every time the Midsummer Classic comes around, he's going to be the guy to watch. Well, I tell you what, this could be a poll question if we were Levitard. Would you have fun on a night out with Mike Trout and Kawhi Leonard? I really want to just know more about them. Because of the NBA and now more so than ever at the MLB, you get so much access to these personalities. We almost know everything there is to know about these guys except Kawhi Leonard and Mike Trout. I actually read a really, really good article. I was about probably like a 45, 50-minute read the other day on Bleacher Report about Mike Trout, who he is, and basically his upbringing and why he is the way he is. And it just kind of infatuates me and that we don't have the access to these guys. So I think for, for many reasons, because of the decoy letter in Mike Trout, um, you know, on the personality factor, maybe not. But if I could get a chance to pick their brains and to know why it is the way, you know, why are they the way they are, I think that I would definitely have some fun with that. I tell you what, the rosters are stacked on both sides. What's the over-under on the MVP coming off the bench tonight? No matter which team he's for, I just get the feeling that we are going to get some dramatic late-game play that ends up deciding the contest, uh, ends up deciding the contest, and whoever does, you know, is the recipient of that will win the MVP. Yeah, I, that's a great question because it always seems like if there is late-game dramatics, then it would seem as though it, you know, it's going to be one of those guys that's subbing in. I got to go with Pete Alonso. I mean, he's riding a hot wave. You've got to imagine after last night, he's going to get in the game in a big capacity at some point. And I think Alonso has a good shot at just kind of continuing it. You can see that beautiful swing of his last night. It just looks so effortless, and he's putting out balls to center, right, and left field. It was just magical to watch. It would be about as good of a night as the Mets have had since their last World Series game back in 2015. Times are tough over there on the other side of New York, but your Yankees are cruising right along. Yeah, man, they're not looking bad. I mean, DJ LeMay, he's they're not looking bad. Huge pickup, right? I mean, that was kind of uh, it was kind of one of those pickups in the offseason where it was like, oh yeah, by the way, we got DJ LeMahieu. Not you know too big of a deal at the time, considering this stacked lineup that they already had, but he has been the best player in that lineup every single day. I mean, he had a stretch where he was 15 for 21 with 11 RBIs mm-hmm. a couple days ago, which is just incredible. I mean, the guy is just ripping the ball at an incredible pace. I was kind of talking, or I was watching him talk about the All-Star game earlier, and he was saying, I'm not really one of those guys that that's, he almost has a Mike Trout-esque personality, basically, but... Man, he is just fun to watch. Despite the fact that Trout and, I guess, LeMahieu were kind of those personalities, it doesn't take away from the fact that their play speaks for itself. And LeMahieu was a recognizable name when they brought him to the Bronx, and yet he's revitalized his career and taken himself to heights that he arguably never was at when he was at Colorado. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, you know, Colorado, the Colorado that's always been a team that not as well known, and it, it was a really soft infield. He had a lot of competition just within his infield, you know, for name recognition. Because you look at that second base, shortstop, third base for that Rockies system, you're looking at DJ LeMahieu, Trevor Story, and Nolan Arenado. So I think that now that he's had a chance to break out, you, the last thing that you would think is that if he can't get name recognition in Colorado, you wouldn't think he'd be able to do it in New York, but he has. He's been able to do just that. And whether it's the Yankees coaching staff, whether it's playing under some bigger lights, um, 
whatever it's been, something has really played into his hand this year. He just looks like a different player. The offense is going to be the spectacle of the show. I get the feeling this evening. The American League, if they have an advantage on paper, you would think it would be the pitching. But tonight, I get the feeling after what we saw last night especially, it's going to be all about offense. And the National League seems to have the better offensive lineup. I think I'm going to go high scoring in this one. I'm going to say the National League 9-7. to yeah, I'm going to go the National League. Like I'm going to go 13 to nine. Mm. I think it's going to be a really high scoring game, which is really interesting considering that Vegas has the over under for runs in this game at eight and a half, which oh I think is blown out of the water. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I was a betting man, I would put all my chips in on the over. Yeah, take the on over. That after, especially after last night. I mean, man. 341 homers at last night's home run derby. This whole season's been a home run derby. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. I'm pretty sure that in the month of May, the MLB set a single-month record for home runs, and then that was broken in June. So if that tells you anything, we are on pace for something bigger and better. I mean, I also read that Justin Verlander has allowed the most home runs in the MLB this season, despite having the best whip in the MLB mm-hmm. this season. So, I mean, he's got a .81 whip this season, which is just terrific. On Rob Manfred, I heard an interview with him yesterday on Golik and Wingo, and he was talking about some of the rule changes. He's going all in on helping out offense as much as he can because he knows that's what sells tickets and that's what increases popularity. And he's got a few rule changes in mind they're looking at implementing for next season. You have to face a minimum of three batters. A relief pitcher needs to face a minimum of three batters to speed up the game. They're going to shorten the roster size in the September call-ups. They're actually going to expand it by one for the regular season for most of it, from 25 to 26. And then instead of 40, you only get 28 called up in September again. Less relief pitchers speeds up the game. It leads to less pitching changes. And one that you're seeing firsthand is the automatic strike zone. Tell me about how that's going. Yeah, so it's going to be implemented for the first time during the All-Star Game, which is actually tomorrow in York, Pennsylvania. We haven't seen it implemented in a game at the Blue Crabs. It's been tested out one time in Somerset, one time in York. It's going to be fully implemented at some point in the second half, and I think it's something that's going to be really exciting. But to your point about the the other changes, um, for example, the three-pitcher change is something that has been incorporated in the Atlantic League this year per the Atlantic League MLB rule changes. That, along with the fact that you can't have any mound visits, whether that be from a coach, a catcher, or another player, you cannot do a mound visit unless the catcher and the pitcher want to talk about signs. And in that scenario, the umpire will come sit and hear the conversation and make sure that's all they talk about. Mm. So we have seen an incredible change in pace of play. There's been more than two nine-inning games this season that have been less than two hours. So, I mean, it's, it's really, really made a huge difference. We've seen an overall decrease of three minutes per game, which isn't monumental, but, you know, there's going to be some outliers in there. The fact that we've seen a pair of games go under two hours has been huge, but I think especially the mound visits and the, the pitching change, which is something that's going to really play more into the MLB. And, you know, at, 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 our, at our level, we don't have quite as many lefty specialists, if you will. But um, I think in the MLB, that's going to be monumental. And that if you can't do a pitching change every batter, that means there's no commercial break all the time in the middle of innings. And I think it's really, really going to speed up the game. So 
I think that all of those changes are something that we're going to see in the future. I think it's just a matter of time. As for the, the electronic strike zone, I wonder how long it's going to be, and I think that that's going to be kind of the one that that really um, – it, it's just going to depend how it looks in the Atlantic League um, in, in some fashion. On the other hand, I heard that there's another rule that's happening um, in the All-Star game tonight, which is also another one that's been incorporated at the Atlantic League, is that in, an ex- in extra innings, the inning will start with a runner on second base, which once again creates more offense, decreases the time of game, and that's something that, interestingly enough, in 70 games in our first half, we only saw one extra inning game with the Blue Crabs, so I've only seen it in play one time. But nonetheless, it really does speed up the game. Do you have pitch clocks down there in the Atlantic League? We don't have a pitch clock, but there's um, the time in between innings has decreased to a minute and 45 seconds, which is really, really short. And something really interesting we've seen with that is that you're so accustomed to seeing um, an umpire maybe put up a, a finger as, you know, you've got two pitches left before this inning starts. As opposed to now, you hear the umpire yell, all right, 30 seconds until the inning starts. So it's really something that just speeds up the game. And it just in many ways, you know, people wonder if the traditionalists in baseball would accept these rules. I've already seen myself come full circle to not only accept these rules, but be kind of weirded out when I see them in another way. I was watching a game in the MLB the other day with my brother, and I saw a mound visit, and I looked back, and the same pitcher was still on the mound, and I looked at my brother, and I said, why is he still on the mound? Because in the Atlantic League, the second that a manager takes his foot onto the play of field, the field of play, that pitcher's out of the game. There has to be a pitching change. So that's just something that I've already become so accustomed to despite seeing baseball my whole life. So, you know, we, we come to expect, these things to take a long time in the game of baseball, but the fact of the matter is that we're we're going to see change, and I think that people will grow accustomed and become much more comfortable with these changes. Andrew Banstra is the play-by-play man for the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs of the Atlantic League of Professional Baseball. It's an awesome week for you, my man, the MLB All-Star Game, the Atlantic League All-Star Game, and for the 14th week in a row, Old Town Road tops the charts. <laughs> Well, I think especially that third point, I think that, that that's a real big one. I know you I, like it. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of the taxi right, man. I tell you what, we are out of time, man. It's always good talking to you. I appreciate you as always. Have fun out there in D.C. I'm sure we're going to talk again here soon. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. Anytime you want me on, you know I'm here, and uh, I appreciate it as always. That is it for us. I'm back on tomorrow, 4 Eastern, 3 Central, here on ESPN-UP and with our app. Signing off from the ESPN-UP WZAM Studios, I'm Tanner Hoops. Thanks for listening to the Sports Pen. Here's Will Kane.